And welcome to G220 Radio. My name is Mike, and it has been some time, hasn't it? Ricky is not able to be with us this evening, but I'm able to be on this evening. It's been, a, like I said, it's been a while. But I've, I've had a lot going on and a lot of just home issues. You can't see it, but there is a giant hole in my wall behind over here that way. Um, off to my um, left. Um, if you're watching the video or even on the audio. And I've been doing a lot of home projects that have needed to be done. And so it's keep it has kept me away from GG20 Radio um, for some time. We've been dealing with an issue now for about a year or so. Um, and hopefully in the next several months, it will finally be all wrapped up and we will I will be back full time. I'm looking forward to be coming back more regularly than I have um, been. So that's just a little update with me. But what we are here for tonight, here in episode 597, we'll be looking at Proverbs chapter 24, 13 through 22. Ricky did verses 1 through 12 last week. So go ahead and if you after we get done with those live stream or watching this, go check it out and you can view what he had to say last week. Um, but this week we'll continue on and verses 13 through 22, kind of looking at wisdom. The title of the show is wisdom. If you find it, there will be a future and we will discuss that here. Month. But we have lots of exciting shows coming up. Just give you a heads up. So we're currently doing this one. Um, we are looking at doing a show on Jonathan Edwards and specifically looking at his 70 resolutions. He wrote them over a period of a couple years of what he desired for his life to be. And kind of looking at him and especially as he viewed how does he run the well, the race well to the end. And so we'll be taking a look at that. We'll finish Proverbs chapter four in another episode. And those are, at least I know the two coming up right here in the near future. So let's get started here. Proverbs chapter 24. And we will look at the these verses in five kind of groups, all grouped together with two verses. So the first group is verses 13 and 14. The word of God says, My son, eat honey, for it is good. And the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to for your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. So we start this episode by looking at and examining how Solomon describes honey. So he tells his son to eat honey, and he gives two reasons, that it is good and that it is sweet. And there's some places in Proverbs where honey 
again has that desire but leads to sin you think of um the adulterous woman her lips are like honey there's this kind of desirous aspect of here though in the end you'll come to ruined but for the most part when we see honey in the bible when we think about honey in the bible it is always associated it's i guess not always but it's associated with something good here again we see it in this the the command for their son to eat honey that it is good it it and it's sweet it's something to be desired and to go after and when we think about this we can go kind of in different ways we can think of the promise god gave to moses on exodus 3 about what he's going to do with israel people how he's going to execute the the plan he has in place to bring the people out of Egypt and into the promised land. And the Lord says to Moses at the burning bush that he has surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, knowing their suffering. And I will come up and deliver them to out of the land of Egypt and bring them out of, out of that land to a good time my quote is hiding um out of the hands of the engine bring him to a good land and a broad land a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the canaanites the hittites the amorites the Prezrites, the hivites and the jebusites and behold cry of the people of israel will come to me and i will i've seen their oppression which the the egyptians have oppressed them and we think about what is being said here is that the people God's going to pull the Egyptians or the Israelites out of Egypt and bring them into the promised land. The promised land is to be seen as a land that has milk and honey. It is a very prosperous land. Honey is a, was a delicacy in the ancient world. And to, to have that narrative to say, kind of milk and honey just shows how vast, how good the land is. And we see here in Proverbs that the honey is good. It's sweet. We can think about when Jonathan fighting with Saul, the men are weary. Saul has given the men that they are not to eat of anything. But Jonathan doesn't hear this command. He finds honeycomb. He takes and eats of it, and the Lord restores his strength. Now, people will disobey the king, but they are strengthened, and that is what leads them to win the battle, I think, against the Philistines. I should have checked on that. But when we, we think about honey, it's desirous. We can, the, the sweetness, there's, there's a... There's a sweetness there that's different than just sugar. Uh, we tend to use sugar a lot, but there's a different type of sweetness, a different quality that is desirable in honey. And taking honey and thinking about honey, Solomon then moves towards this idea of wisdom. And he wants us to connect to the desirable nature of honey 
with the kind of desirable nature we should have with wisdom. And verse 14 says, and we know in verse 14, he says, know that wisdom is such to your soul. The idea of putting is such makes that connection between the the desirable nature of honey with the desirable nature of wisdom. We should view wisdom as something that is important, is good, it is sweet, not to like our physical mouths, but to our souls, to our lives. And he gives us why. Because when we find wisdom, when we get wisdom, there will be a future. Here, the text seems to indicate that wisdom brings about a desirable end to our lives. We can say that wisdom allows us to live our life well, to live our life in the meaning in which God has called us to live. Now, this wisdom, we must remember, is connected back to that fear of the Lord and knowledge. We can, we've already seen it um, in earlier episodes, like Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So their fear of the Lord is connected with wisdom. Obviously, Psalm one set or Proverbs one seven, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom. So wisdom is found in God. There is a certain position in which we have towards God. When you think of Psalm one eleven verse ten, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all those who practice it have good understanding. So wisdom, understanding is connected to the fear of the Lord. Psalm 19, 7 through 11, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Makes It makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and the righteous altogether. More to be desired they than gold and even much fine gold, sweeter than also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servants warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Here David the psalmist gives us a light of God's word and comparisons to the riches, to the the greatness of what God has given to us and the desirable even of honey. And when we think about these things, when we think about how God has given these things, and then more so how then it is compared to here in wisdom with the word of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the commandments, all of these ideas come together and bring us that the word and fearing God and wisdom is sweet 
to our souls. And that the reason why wisdom is good is because it helps us in our lives. They, it allows us to continue in growing. There is a, and in one sense, a reward that awaits for us as we continue on. And also our hopes will not be cut off. Well, why won't our hopes be cut off? Well, because in searching for wisdom, we find the Lord. The Lord grants us wisdom. We see this in James, where to pray for wisdom. And the Lord gives it to us without reproach. He, he's not partial with it. And he gives when we ask for it in faith, not doubting that God gives good gifts and that he gives wisdom. So then our hope is founded upon not in our wisdom, but in the one who gives us the wisdom, the Lord. So what are we to do with this? What are, how does this help us? Well, I think it helps us to change our minds. We're coming up to new year. You're probably thinking about what's my next yearly Bible study. Am I going to do yearly? Am I going to go quality over quantity this year? Just go deep. But this helps us and frames us that we should be in the word. And we should be, I think, in it two ways. In hearing and meditating on the preached word that is faithfully attending the local church, hearing your pastor preach on the text of scripture, and not just listening to it kind of like a TED talk and or just letting it kind of go in one ear and out the other, but to think about and to meditate what you hear from your pastor. To think about the applications that that sermon has in your life right now. But not only that, we have the word. We can read the word in our own language. And so we need to be diligent in our own study of God's word. And as I mentioned with James 2, we should pray for this wisdom. We should pray that our affections for this wisdom is the right affections, that we see wisdom as good, as sweet, and that we trust the benefits that God gives to those who seek wisdom and to pray in those manners that God may grow us by the spirit to love his word, to desire his word, and to desire the wisdom that he gives from his word. And, it, and it's in, when we think about the wisdom that we move to then here, verses 15 and 16. Verses 15 and 16 say, Lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do no violence to his home. For the righteous fall seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Here, Solomon is trying to remind us. He's already talked about, again, in chapter one, about waiting alongside to destroy the wicked here. It's not necessarily against the righteous person, but against the property, the idea of 
pillaging or stealing from the righteous. So th the command is to not lie in wait, to hurt the wicked by taking his stuff. The dwelling of the, the wicked gives this idea of kind of, you know, his home, the violence to his home is um, a time of reflection of, of reflecting, but note that it's not to, to the man itself. It's against the dwelling. It's against his home. And so we're not to go against the wicked, not to take apart again. Why, why should we do this? Why should we obey this command? And the first reason when we think about who we're going against, if we were to lie await, is that if we were to do that, the righteous falls seven times and rises up again. That ultimately, you can go against the righteous, but God will preserve him. God will keep him. Job. Job has Wickedness happens against him. He loses his family. He loses his animals. He doesn't personally get hurt, but he loses the things around him, his property around him, his, his family around him. In the end, he is vindicated and is restored. And now that's physical, but we can think about even spiritually. What happens if this dwelling and the stealing goes after or even brings about the righteous and its death? Well, in the end, the righteous will be resurrected. They will have ultimate victory through Christ, through whom they are trusting in. And in the Old Testament context, the promises of the coming Messiah. And so ultimately, the righteous cannot be defeated. And they will not defeat it. I mean, think about it. The, the righteous falls down seven times and then rises again. There's, there's this stumbling going on, but in the end, he remains upright. He remains sturdy and strong. Whatever may come against him, he oh he overcomes the wicked on the other hand however is when the wicked go against this man they fall they are not vindicated they meet the judgment of god in their sin and both even in the physical life if they're caught but even more so when the just when God opens all in the final judgment and they receive their reward. So the verse has us think about, okay, how should I act towards people? What, how should I act towards them? And we should, in this case, love our neighbors. We are to do well with them. We are to uphold them and to protect them. Not to lie in wait and to bring them down because God will vindicate them. But we are to, like the righteous, honor them, uphold them, keep them. We don't go against 
their dwellings. We we preserve them in how we act. We treat them like we want to be treated. Verses 17 and 18 continues this idea with the wicked. And if we think about what 15 and 16 talk about, and let's say they do go against the righteous, they receive the temporal punishments from being here on earth. They are caught out, they're found, they are convicted, they're guilty. How are we to respond to that? How are we to respond when wicked people receive the judgment of God, either by God's appointed um, means through the government or ultimately in their death, how do we respond? How do we respond to the death of Hamas terrorists? Verses 17 and 18 help us to think about how our response should be. It says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord sees it and displeased and turns his anger away from him. So the command is to not gloat over the judgment of the wicked of enemies don't be glad when we see god judge people now we know in the new testament that the apostle paul tells us to that we can be angry and sin not that there is an idea in which we can be righteously angered by what is going on and we're called not to sin and so when we see god's judgment bring about on the wicked, on the enemies of God, how do we react? And verses 17 and 18 tells us that we don't rejoice in it. And the question is, well, why? And the answer the the proverb the Solomon gives us here in Proverbs is that the if the Lord sees it and he'll be displeased. There, there's a sense, in, and the commentators kind of agree on this, that the that there's no fear of God when we gloat over the fall of the wicked. And that is something to think about. And why we shouldn't gloat is that we are watching image bearers receive the punishment due to them. It should cause us to fear God. To fear his wrath. It should give us a sense of awe of his justice. And in turn, of his mercy for us. They are sinners receiving what they are due. They receive God's justice by the act of his wrath. And in one sense, we're no different than they are, except for that 
God's wrath was poured out on Christ. And we receive the benefits of adoptions as son and his mercy because it's been paid for. And so when the, and what's interesting when we think about it is that the Lord sees it and is displeased because you're gloating over something that is very serious and he stops his judgment on them. It says, and he turns away his anger from them. He, he stops judging them. They don't receive the full, their full ask the full wrath of God that they deserve. God gives them mercy. And this may, may sound weird. Now God could give mercy whom he gives mercy to. And and thinking about it, I think it, it goes back to God's glory. Moses interceding after the golden calf's incident in Exodus goes to God because God wants to just wipe out all the people. They're like, I mean, they're just all sinners. I'm going to start a new nation. He wanted to start a new nation with Moses. Moses, please, intercedes for the people towards God. And it's like, don't do that because then everyone will say, well, he just took them out into the desert to kill them. It would, it would tarnish God's glory among the unbelievers. So when the righteous gloat over the death of the wicked, the judgment of God on people, on a nation, and is displeased by it, he may give them mercy because of what, because of his glory, because it, the, the righteous wrongly gloating would impugn who God is. God is not a God of wrath. He is a God of mercy. Now God's wrath is displayed because God is just and sin deserves God's wrath. And so wrath is an expression of God's justice, uh, God's, yeah, God's justice on the unbeliever. But at times he will here we can say he gives grace to them because those who are to believe and to fear him are now impugning his glory among the people. And we should consider then not to rejoice in the suffering of evils. We should realize it is the wrath of God and fear the Lord. And that then leads us into verses 19 and 20. Because at times we see God's wrath as it's poured out on sinners. We see him judge them for their sin. But other times we do not see God's judgment on the sinners. 
And so Solomon reminds us, we're reminded again, as it's said in other times, fret not yourself because of evildoers and do not be envious of the wicked for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. So the proverb starts with just kind of being anxious, being envious about the wicked, the wicked may look like appear that they can prosper and live. And this should be noted, like how many wicked people, people who hate God have lots of money. They're wealthy. They seem to at times sin in order to accumulate wealth. And there's those of us who try to do good. We live according to the law, not perfectly. We try to be obedient to God. We try to be ones who are, as the psalmist, as the Proverbs say, righteous. And yet we do not have these material blessings that God has given to others. And we can see that. I mean, it's like, have we displeased God? I think that the health and wealth gospel really plays into that, that mantra. The American dream with the facade of Christianity. And we are to, to look at the, the success of the evildoers and not be envious of them. Because they may prosper now, but as verse 20 says, the evil man has no future. Well, who has the future? We already talked about it in verse 14. It's those who find wisdom. It's those who fear God who have a future. The evil man has no future. It will not go the way he has planned to go, especially when he stands before the judgment seat. We need God's grace to get past that. We need to find, we need to search God and to find him while we have breath. Today is the day of salvation to recognize our sin, that we are these evil men with no future. Our future is grim. We will face the judgment of God. But as we think about Christmas here in 13 days, two weeks from yesterday, when we think about Christmas, that God became man, that he may take the punishment of God for our salvation. And to trust and to believe and to fear the Lord and to gain the wisdom that comes with that as God gives it. That is the future of the righteous. But the evil man, the non-righteous, the unrighteous, they have no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. They will suffer what is due for them. So this proverb calls us to think about, observe what's going on, and realize they may prosper. 
but God will settle the accounts. Again, we need to go back to a fear of God, letting God be God, let him rule over his creation as he needs to. The, the wicked do not have, just that they don't have it. They will never be. And not only that, when we, we think about, we have kind of focused on God's judgment, the judgment coming, and even focusing on the final judgment, the great white throne judgment. Verses 21 and 22 help us to remind us about how God has ordered the wor world and how we are to act. Verse 21 says, my son, fear the Lord and the king. And do not join with those who do otherwise. For disaster will suddenly arise from them. And who knows the ruin that will come from them both. So the admiration you see here, my son. We saw this in verse 13. We see it here again. Where he called him to go for wisdom. Here we see the, free, the supposed to be the fear of the Lord and the king. When we, we think about fearing the Lord and the king, we should be reminded of Romans, where the king, the emperor, is a authority God has risen up, that we are to honor him. Peter talks about honoring the emperor, honoring the king. God raises up kings and he takes kings down. He's the one who raised up David. He was the one who raised up Saul and then took him for his unbelief, his untrusting of the promises. So to fear the Lord and to fear the king would be to fear the Lord and the one whom God has given authority to rule. So we're to fear them. And we are not to join those who do not fear both the Lord and the King. So, again, the righteous will fear the Lord. They fear the King whom the Lord has appointed. The unrighteous do not fear the Lord. and They do not fear the King. I think in our context, we can think about, do we fear the Lord and honor our government? Those God has put in authority over us. And, and why should we do both? Because disaster will come all of a sudden from them. So we see the, the immediacy of their judgment. When you go against the government, when you commit crimes against the government, all of a sudden, they will be at your door and we're giving you some shiny bracelets to wear behind your back. They're going to be there to execute 
the warrant and then the tr- to bring you to trial to give an account to your crimes if you committed them to assess if you're guilty of these crimes it comes all of a sudden just like the lord's judgment the lord's judgment is all of a sudden you think about noah the days they were celebrating and feasting and having it and all of a sudden the rains came and wiped them out the the coming of the lord will be that way that the lord will come and will those who are not found in christ will receive their punishment they will be defeated so the disaster will come all of a sudden but not only is there a a quickness a a spontaneity of it there is no bounds in which one can know who knows the ruins that can come from them both how much will they judge you may think it's just one thing but maybe it'll get you for other things the lord knows all and his justice is far reaching his wrath is far reaching on those who don't believe and so because it can be all of a sudden and we don't know the bounds in which there's in one sense no bounds in which it's confined to it makes us realize and thinks about okay we need to honor god we need to honor the king we see elsewhere in the new testament about honoring submissing to the king because it provides for us the freedoms we need to worship to be good stewards in our times to be able to live at peace with others there are times in which christians do not live at live at peace with their governments you think about the chinese home church and they're hiding because the government has outlawed biblical christianity in america we have freedom to meet together we have relative peace to be together and to mutually um, edify each other. And this is a grace from God. And in these times, we need to honor our government. Is this to say that our government is good? No. But we're to honor them. We are to honor their authority that they're over just like as a child should honor the authority of their parents. The fourth commandment helps us to understand how we are to act with those who are inferiors, equals, and superiors. And here it calls us to think about those above us, those in authority above us and to fear them and to honor them and to have a reverency for who they are. And in doing so, 
as the New Testament goes, we we pray that that gives us peace to practice our faith and open to be able to preach the gospel to the people that God's word will continue on unhindered. And that's our prayer. And so when we think about all of these verses, 13 through 22, the emphasis is the importance of wisdom and gaining it because it affects how we react to the things of the righteous. It helps us to understand that we should fear the Lord in his judgment, that we should not be gloating over when evil people receive their just penalty. And those who don't, we need the wisdom and understanding to know not to be envious of them because sin brings death. That's all that sin ever brings. No matter how nice it may tempt us, sin always brings death. And this death and judgment comes not only from the Lord, but from the authorities God has placed over us. And we are to honor them because that is the right thing to do. Because we don't know the suddenness of their judgment. We don't know the vastness of their justice. So we honor them. And we don't join in those who dishonor the Lord and the authorities he goes on. Obviously, there is so much more in political theory and political theology that we can go and how this all works out. But I think it suffice that we are to honor them for who they are and pray for them. Peter is very much, you pray for our leaders. We submit to their authority and we do good that the, that those who are around us will see and honor God. So this has been a shorter episode of GG20. Maybe this is a reprieve. I know a lot of times we go for like an hour and a half in Proverbs. There's so much here. I guess that makes sense. I did 45 minutes. Ricky does 45 minutes, hour and a half. There we go. But I hope you enjoyed. I hope this was edifying and to bring about and to think about wisdom and to pursue godliness. This is ultimately what it's about. Knowing that it is God who works in and through us by the power of his spirit. But it calls us to search the scriptures more, to gleam the wisdom that God has given to us, and then to act accordingly in honoring God in all that we do. That's the life of a Christian. That's what we should be seeking to do. And so with that, this has been episode number 597. Wow. That is, I feel like it was just yesterday we celebrated our fifth uh, 500th episode. 
um, that is that way. Join us next week here at nine o'clock for another edition of G220 Radio. I think we'll be, I'm trying to look it up here, that we'll be finishing out Proverbs um, 24. And be able to think through these a little bit more. Yep, 23 through 34 next week. So come back for that. That title of that show is A Little Sleep, A Little Slumber. So again, for Ricky, I am Mike Miller. Thank you for joining me tonight on GH20 Radio, and we'll catch you next week. <laughs>